You know, I used to have a problem with grammatical tenses, but not yet. This is Across the Table, the podcast of Hannibal the Magician. The very first book that I ever bought for myself on the performance of magic was a book called The Experience of Magic. And it was written by a man by the name of Eugene Berger. Eugene Berger was a magician, obviously. Um, But he was more than that. He was a philosopher. He was a a historian of religion. He he had a a style about him that was absolutely unique, um, especially in the world of magic. He embraced uh, a sort of a a guru, shamanistic, in a a very... um, Tolkien sort of a way uh, of, of his character. I know that, that that may seem a little bit vague. Let me get kind of back to the point. The, the book was called The Experience of Magic, and while it contained a few close-up magic tricks, the, the, the brunt and the focus of the book was on the feeling that magic should portray to an audience. Magic is transition, Magic is the change of one thing, one one state of being to another. Um, and to apply that and to interpret it out beyond just doing a card trick for someone, but actually uh, making it so powerful it could uh, change their perspective or give them a thought or or comfort them was it was a brand new concept to me as a as a beginning magician. Um, now I had a, had other books recommended to me and a couple gifted to me on sleight of hand and and the basics of of how to perform, but Eugene Berger lit in me the uh, the reason why to perform um, to to explore one's heart, mind, and soul, and 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 give a reason for what you're doing. Um, that's that's basic. In, in like songwriting and poetry and, and other art forms, but it was really explored um, in depth and in a very spiritual sort of a way by, uh, by Eugene. And the book was, was fairly new when I got it. It came out in 1989. Um, and uh, I, just, I just thought this was, this was not only just like a good magic book, this was some powerful writing. So I explored, uh, went looking for other works of his, and there was a small pamphlet called Intimate Power, which, um, which also taught some tricks, but, but alongside of it gave the philosophy behind why the tricks were effective, what, what cemented the effect in the audience's mind. And then possibly the, the, the book that uh, is a favorite in my library and one that I keep returning to again and again and, and gleaning new knowledge from every time I read through it is a book called The Performance of Close-Up Magic. Um, it was uh, it was just mind-blowing and, and the depth and the, and the feeling and everything else that went into it. Um, it, it, it 
fashioned the idea of the kind of a magician that I wanted to be. I met Mr. Berger a few years later uh, after, uh, after reading his books. I met him at a magic convention. And to say I was surprised was, uh, is, an, is an understatement. He was the exact, well, stick with me through this statement, but he was the exact opposite of what I anticipated. In, in his books, the pictures of him in his books show him as, as a kind of a scowling, powerful, you know, I'm thinking deep thoughts and, and I am contemplating great things of the universe. Uh, kind of a guy. He he was uh, he was bald ish. He uh, he had an exceptionally long beard, especially for the time. <clears throat> I mean, long beards are fairly commonplace these days, but to have a, a beard that comes down, you know, to the bottom of your chest at the time, it was it was a unique look. Uh, he wore dark colors or, or, or shades of gray and black, and uh, a mystical ring on his finger, and he just had this air of knowledge and power and and wisdom about him in, in all of his photographs and during his and he had a, he had a deep uh, resounding uh, voice and, and a, a commanding uh, grasp of the English language and and I mean when I say he had a deep voice take mine and drop it about an octave and and you get an idea of uh, of uh, how you know the, the sound of, of what he what he spoke and um he gave a lecture at uh, at this magic convention, and all you know, all great philosophy and all great teaching and everything else. But <clears throat> and any any you know, quite an imposing figure. But when I met him, um, he was uh, he was short. He was he was shorter than me. He was uh, he gave you know. I'm going to give you the uh, like like a dwarf in Lord of the Rings. You know, not. Uh, not a physical dwarf, but but a, a smaller in stature man than I expected. I hope that that comes across as respectful as I want it to. Um, <clears throat> and while he had the you know the command and the and the attention of the audience off the stage, he was personable and and he took time to to talk to everybody that wanted to talk to him. And he was funny and humorous and and uh, and loving and giving. Just one of the kindest, gentlest souls I've ever met. Um, and he had, uh, he seemed to have the, the role of, of teacher or mentor ingrained in him. That's the word that keeps coming up, uh, over the past week, friend, teacher, mentor, even among people who never physically met him or like myself only had brief interludes of conversations and, and, uh, and lessons with him. He just, uh, he was instantly uh, a friend to, to everyone he met. I have, I never saw him cross. I never saw him write in anger or, or demean anybody else um, in anything that he uh, did or published or, or said. He was, uh, he was born in 1939. Uh, he, he really came onto the scene from my perspective, in the uh, late 80s, and uh, his personality carried him on all the way through today. He was never famous. He was never um, like a household name. He was never a Copperfield or a David Blaine. Um, but 
he affected magic in uh, in in more powerful ways than than most ever did. He shaped thought. He inspired and he he guided uh, almost behind the scenes. Now he was a working performing magician uh, out of Chicago. And he worked the bar and restaurant scene up there for a, a number of years and entertained thousands of people, of, of lay people, of non-magicians, uh, both at uh, restaurant bars and, and private parties. Um, when, when you say someone has a twinkle in their eye, man, Eugene had, Eugene had twinkles. He, he, would, he would always be like... This is all. This is all so humorous. All of this is just such a. It's such a lark, you know. Life is serious, and there, there are dark things to explore, and there are, there are feelings, and there are ups and downs. But, but really, he would say with a wink, it's just a lark. His one of his most famous pieces was uh, uh, "Broken and Restored Thread." He would uh, philosophize quite a bit on the weight and the color of the thread and, and how it should be done. But um, he would do an entire presentation uh, on the broken and restored thread while discussing Hindu religion and, and the creation, shaping, and destruction of the universe. And it was fascinating. And, and uh, it opened up, um, you know, it opened up knowledge for me. It opened up the, the desire to explore, you know, that mythology on its own. So he was a very important, he had a very important place in my life. Um, on several other conventions, we, we spent hours sitting at a table, sitting across the table and, and sharing ideas, sharing moves, sharing uh, uh, magic tricks. And not, I'm not talking in a, in a private setting. There were always five or six people around him, and he would hold court wherever he was, and he would do it with great humor and great patience. Um, for anyone that was with him. And like I said, he was a friend. He just had an air of friendship about him that seemed to extend to anyone that was within reach of his words, his voice, or his presence. He wrote a number of books. He established Mystery School with Jeff McBride uh, on the effort to to bring meaning and, uh, and art back into magic. And... Uh, had dozens and dozens of, of graduates of that school. He affected and touched thousands of people and, and, and a great deal of magicians. He shaped the face of magic for the public, but behind the scenes. <sighs> Eugene Berger passed away on August 8th of this year, uh, the same day as Glenn Campbell. He had uh, a form of cancer and... Uh, he, he knew his time was limited. The people around him knew that, you know, the, the last days were coming. But, um, but the end came very unexpectedly. Um, I don't know all the details because I was not privy to his private life, but uh, someone sent a message to me as I was recording uh, the Glenn Campbell podcast last week. It, the message came through uh, that Eugene had passed away, that he had died uh, comfortably, but uh, but unexpectedly. The outpouring that came from the internet, from the magic community, from Facebook, from 
all the magicians that I know was one of shock and, and sadness and loss for this giant of a man uh, in our profession, someone who will never be uh, replaced, never be equaled. He was a unique human being who, uh, who lived his life to his own terms and, and put, put, out, uh, put out love and joy and kindness and knowledge to so many people. I feel it as a personal loss because it was the first book I ever bought. Uh, his his was you know that he put out the his words and his advice shaped everything that started off in the creative era of my work. Um, if I ever get stuck on a, on a, on a bit when I'm putting something together or trying to write a story or anything else, it always helps to read that sale, that same book, the, the uh, performance of close-up magic, because there's still truth in it, and it still helps my work on today. So I lost a friend, I lost a mentor, I lost a teacher, and the universe lost some joy. But he put his ghost on the canvas. He put his words on the paper. And his philosophy and his kindness and his gentleness is going to live on for way past his physical time here. And I am very, very grateful for Eugene Berger and, uh, and the lessons that he taught me. Well... Welcome to episode six of Across the Table. I am going to continue to do my part to carry my flag and to, to, to bring positive thoughts and positive motivations into the world, and, and we go forward from here. Um, I will do everything in my power to, uh, to create art, create beauty, and stand up for what I believe in. That's what it's going to be talking about today, some of the things that happened this past week. It, uh, the week started off last week very, very hard with the loss of Glenn Campbell and then Eugene Berger and the, the thoughts and the, the feelings that all those things brought up. Um, I had a very close friend who was uh, storing some things here uh, at my honeycomb. And uh, on Wednesday, they, they came and removed those things because people change and people move on and... and Life is a series of transitions, and uh, people come in and out of your life. And this was um, this was an exit, and it's one that I knew that was coming. Um, but it didn't make the ending any easier for that knowledge. So um, that was that was dealt with in a uh, a very non hurtful kind of a way. It was very. Um, Peaceful. It was very non-confrontational, um, but it left me reeling, and uh, it'll take some time to um, to move on from that. So uh, that's where we're, we're left at. I had uh, I had a show last uh, last week. Well, this past Saturday, it was a couple of days ago, in um, Branson, Missouri. It came in. Kind of last minute, so I did not have a lot of time to prepare and do flights and all the important things that, uh, you know, you have to prepare for for a show coming up. 
and at uh, at that late date, um, flight costs were, you know, astronomical and somewhat prohibitive. So I opted to um, to drive it. Uh, the drive from Charlotte to Branson, Missouri, is uh, roughly listed on on the uh, on the map, as it were, roughly um, thirteen hours. And I thought, okay, I've done this before. I've done it with comedy clubs. I've done it, you know, in the past. And uh, no big deal. I mean, you know, it, it'll be rough. It'll be kind of a, a, a toil, but not. Uh, it'll be a good adventure. So. I uh, I went to drive, and of course, map time versus real time is uh, is vastly different. It took me about fifteen hours uh, in both directions, but um, the weather was absolutely gorgeous. The drive through the mountains and along the path I had to take was really beautiful. Um, so it was okay. Uh, I got time to think. I got time to to look at myself, to, to think about where I'm, uh, where I'm going, what I'm doing, and, uh, and such like that. Let me, let me actually back up a second before I get into that part of the week, because I'm, I'm going over my notes, and I noticed um, I did two podcasts last week, one um, that I recorded Sunday night, and then uh, the one that came up on Tuesday when I was talking about Glenn and my father. And uh, the one thing I, I, I didn't mention that, that I almost skipped over just now was I had a show uh, Monday night on the 7th, uh, Monday Night Magic, or Monday Night Magic, mon- uh, Monthly Monday Magic at Petra's. Chris Curitan uh, opened for me, uh, played guitar and sang, told uh, his life story and uh, and presented it in a beautiful, uplifting, inspiring sort of way, and then pulled everybody up on stage and did a, uh, a dance party, uh, played some music and just got everybody moving and got everybody, you know, broke the ice um, with a bunch of people. And uh, it was fascinating. He did a great job, and I'm really appreciative, Chris. If you're listening or if you're a friend of his, um, let him know. You know, he did a great job opening up. The counselors from the, the MDA summer camp came uh, to the show, and you know, they had a great time. They were they were awake and and alive and and uh, participating. And and uh, we got in in uh, Petra's, which is a, a smallish cabaret. We got roughly 50, 55 people in there, and uh, had a great show. The audience was just fantastic. Um, and I I just kept I kept going. I went over my my normal time. Uh, but everybody was with me, and, and it ended beautifully. And we, we, uh, we had happy, joyful tears, and we had uh, unbridled laughter, and it was uh, fantastic. In fact, I got I got to a point of stopping. I got to the to the end of my show, and I was getting ready to dismiss everybody, and the skies just opened up outside, and we got this torrential rainstorm that just it was you know it would have been uh, uh, detrimental to anyone trying to leave. So. Uh, they all sat back down, and, and um, I did a little more. I did another 10 minutes or so uh, and gave the rain time to abate, which it did. And, and uh, it was one of, the, uh, one of the greatest experiences. One of the, Petra's, Petra's is, a, is a lovely, fantastic place in my hometown that has, has embraced me and, 
and uh, promoted my shows and, and been a real friend uh, to me. And, and part of what I'm doing with them is uh, extending that friendship to local artists who don't get a lot of stage time because they're either of a variety act sort of way or, or just something they haven't. Um, there's not a lot of venues that are open to, to short uh, creative acts. So I'm providing a stage as best I can uh, to open my show. Um, mine went beautifully, great responses, and I'm grateful to everybody that came out. Um, Kayla, my friend Kayla, who is uh, collecting signed cards for me, uh, got another dozen or so, I think, uh, left them in my box to find the next day, and, and uh, it, was, it was a wonderful, delightful surprise. And um, specifically to her, I'm very grateful um, for the inspiration, the uplifting that you do for me. Troy, uh, my friend Troy, recorded it. We are, he's been recording all of the uh, Petra's shows since I started this back up six or so months ago. Um, lots of uh, lots of stuff on uh, on video that will eventually get released in one form or another, uh, just to see what's going on there. Because um, Petra's gives a great venue, and there's there's certain challenges that go along with uh, as close as I am to the audience and the the lighting style that they have there, but. We've overcome a lot of things, and uh, it's been a beautiful journey that continues. By the way, if you're in the Charlotte area, the first Monday of every month is uh, is Monthly Monday Magic. My friend Nikki Redmond and one of her friends, who's I don't have it in front of me because I didn't put it in my notes, a friend of hers is going to be opening my show on September the... Oh, make sure I get the date right here. I'll pull this up right quick. Apologies for the technical... September the 4th, coming up on September the 4th, um, is the next monthly Monday Magic at Petra's, featuring myself and Nikki Redman and a friend of hers. Um, and since we're going ahead and talking about calendars, also coming up uh, in the Charlotte area, public show-wise, I'm going to be doing a dinner theater at Aix-en-Provence, that's A-I-X-E-N, P-R-O-V-E-N-C-E, Aix on Providence, which is on Providence Road next to the Manor Theater, uh, a lovely little French restaurant. We're going to be doing a dinner theater with wine and fine dining and me, along with Nikki Redman and Leah. My friend Leah is going to be uh, there. They're going to be playing their beloved stringed instruments to accompany dinner, and uh, and then I'll do card tricks, and it'll be a uh, uh, a different show than at Petra's, but uh, always in my unique uh, inspirational theater style. Following that, uh, I will be at Matthews Alive. I'll be working in the streets, um, bringing the busk to uh, to Matthews on uh, September the 1st through the 3rd for Labor Day weekend. Uh, at 2 p.m. on Saturday, I will be on the inside stage uh, for Matthews Alive, doing uh, a, a family-friendly show. Let's go ahead and call it that. We'll just say that it's going to be a family-friendly show, which means that any jokes that I do that are grown-up in nature will be thrown above your children's heads. If they laugh at it, that's not my fault. Um... But uh, it's a clean show. There's no bad language. There's no uh, bad uh, subject matter. But there may be 
An innuendo lobbed every once in a while, because that's me, folks. That's what I do. I always thought that was a great, uh, great word for what it means, innuendo. Yeah, so Matthew's Alive, Saturday, um, September the 2nd, indoors on the stage and round and about in the street somewhere, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday throughout which. Um, then I'm going to go to, um, later that the following week, I'm going down to see Mike Birbiglia, um, who has been a huge inspiration for me lately as far as storytelling and story writing and everything else. He is appearing, I, not in my notes, but if I remember correctly, he is appearing in Greenville, South Carolina on uh, Friday the 8th. If I'm wrong about that, I'll put it in the uh, show notes, uh, type it up in the show notes afterwards, but... If you get a chance to see Mike Birbiglia, wherever you are, he gives a, a great show. He's a stand-up comic in the loosest sense of the word, in that he does tell jokes, and he is very funny. But you will learn something. You will learn something about yourself. You'll learn something about Mike. You'll learn something about life in general. He's a very, very unique and talented individual. I can't promote him enough. Uh, let's see, pushing it further into the future. Okay. September 15th and 16th in Whiteville, North Carolina, uh, another dinner theater. We're going to do two shows nightly on the 15th and the 16th um, uh, in Whiteville. I'll tell you more details about that in the upcoming weeks in the podcast. And let's see, to round it out, Festival in the Park. Catch me at Festival in the Park from on September 22nd through the 24th, around about the Magic Stage and the Little Grove that you can always find me at there. Strong magic and sarcasm in the sun. How about that? To the, uh, and I'll move on to the, to the trip I took in a few minutes. To the people that sent me messages or notes or the Ask Hannibal Anythings, let's dive into that for a moment. Um, I was asked, one of, the, one of the toughest questions I've ever gotten on a Monday, uh, Ask Anything Monday, was from my friend River, and River asked me, what is the biggest story of love you've ever experienced, excluding with people you were biologically related to, which immediately cut out uh, the birth of all my children um, and all those stories, which if you want to hear about that, remind me and I'll tell you, um, they all have some great stories about how they came into this world, and I love to, uh, I love to tell them. But... Um, what is the biggest story of love you've ever experienced, excluding with people you are biologically biologically related to? And it took me it took me aback. It took me a second. It was a, a question I really had to think about uh, because I want to be honest with these answers. So, the biggest love affair, biggest love experience, is with um, an audience, any audience, and some are more intense than others. Um, my greatest love my, the, the, in the give and take and mutual <laughs> mutual feelings of emotional and physical satisfaction uh, have come from uh, standing in front of an audience, standing on, on my stage, whether it's across the table um, out performing on the street or standing up on a, on a riser, uh, pouring out what I can to a small audience in a cabaret or standing in a corporate event in front of a 1,000 people or 2,000 people and just putting it out there as hard as I possibly can, opening up myself 
to this partner, me and the audience, it's unlike anything else. The, the, the feeling of love coming and going and, 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 and existing between us for however long we have together, 20 minutes, an hour, hour and a half, it, uh, it, it's, it's what keeps me alive. It's what keeps me moving forward. It inspires me in, in ways that, that nothing else can. And it's a different, obviously, it's a different kind of love than I have for my children, my family, my friends, um, the people that I cherish and the people that I would never want to be without. It's different and it's bigger in a different way. Um, I was made... I was created, I was instilled with the, <clears throat> the desire and the ability to perform, to tell stories, to do magic, to enlighten and uplift as best I can. It, it's what I was made to do. <clears throat> Excuse me. The, uh, the outpouring of love and the, and the reciprocation that comes back, especially when you're talking about acts like the naked truth, um, the thing where I really open myself up for it is spiritual, emotional, physical, and absolutely unconditional. Once I have, once we are in this relationship, once it starts going, I know because I have messed up. I have failed in effects. I have messed tricks up, and I've, I've, you know, and the audience, because of the rapport that I've taken the time to build, loves me anyway, and and cheers me on, not not you know, <clears throat> not expecting me to fail. But being there for me when I do, it's, um, if I'm honest with myself, it's a love I could not live without um, me and, 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 uh, and the audience that I'm in front of. And, you know, ironically, it's, uh, it's fleeting because there's a, well, there's a, there's a philosophy I've been going over in my head for <clears throat> like the past year. Um, Dane Cook, and I can't believe I'm referencing Dane Cook in my own work, but he opened a show once, and uh, my kids were big fans of his, and I, I found him humorous for a while, for a little while. It got nothing, you know, nothing personal about it. It's my own taste, but it got old real quick. But he, he did something that, that uh, moved me at one point. He opened a show by saying... Hello to the audience and introducing himself and and welcome and I'm glad you're here and we're going to uh, in his words we're going to make sweet sweet comedy love here we're going to we're going to give and we're going to take and it's going to be a, a sexual experience and then uh, and then I'm going to leave I'm not going to stay the night I'm going to go and uh, tomorrow morning I'm going to be somewhere else I'm going to be down the road and uh, and you're going to have to miss me. And you'll see me sometimes. You'll see me out with a, with a different audience, with a younger, sexier audience. And I'll look happy, but I'm not happy because I'm thinking about you. And while that's funny, while that's a, you know, it's a neat uh, observation on it, it's undeniably true. I was told once, um, and it's, it's a mantra that uh, some magicians embrace, but amateurs change their act and professionals change their audience. Um, we do the same act, we do a lot of the same things and grow and move and present it in front of new people. 
Um, so yeah, I, the audience I'm going to love right in front of me as hard as I physically, emotionally can and give them the best I possibly can. But tomorrow I'm somewhere else. I'm going to be down the road. I'm going to be in Branson, Missouri. I'm going to be in Chicago in front of a whole new group of people, a whole new love affair with a different audience. And that's taxing both to myself and I'm not even sure the audience thinks of it in those terms. But when you do this again and again and again, it comes to the point where you realize, you know, of course I'm growing and shaping in the old way, but I'm not I'm not changing myself. I am I am leaving pieces of myself behind and I am absorbing what the audience gives me and I'm I'm building you know, the structure that is my life and the way that I've chosen to live it. But it's a very, you know, on top of being ego, egocentric and somewhat narcissistic and, and everything else, it's also uh, spreading love around and different faces. So, and, and coincidentally, uh, the thing that really triggered this back in my thoughts was a song by uh, Marillion. Yes, that's right. You guessed it. Uh, my favorite band, of all time. If I ever do a podcast where I don't bring them up, somebody needs to call and check on me and maybe bring me some soup or something because something's obviously wrong. But uh, Marillion has a song on their latest album, F-E-A-R uh, is the album. It's called The Levers, L-E-A-V-E-R-S. I, I might have spoken about this before, but it is, uh, it is based on the philosophy of a band coming into town uh, setting up, doing the show for the fans and the people that love them, and then slipping off in the middle of the night and leaving them behind, which is what we do. You know, the, the performing artists, the, the, the people that get up on stage, uh, people like my friend Lori, who, who will do give her very, very best on a burlesque stage and dance and lift hearts and bring smiles and joys and, you know, exuberance. And then when she's done... She changes clothes and she goes home or she moves on to the next audience. And the audience is building, of course. New people come and, and some people, you know, come again and again. But uh, there'll be somebody new tomorrow night someplace else. Um, I don't really have a point with that other than this This life is uh, is unique. It's, it's, it's fun and it's great. And that, that's... You know, that's the, the biggest love I have. The biggest story of love that I have in my life is my relationship with my ever-growing fan base. And boy, I don't like that word, fan, fanatic. You know, I make new friends, I guess. I don't know of a better word that I could put out there other than audience and supporters and, and you know, people that I love and love me back. Um, okay, let's move on from there. I think I made my point. Um, someone, uh, here it is. Hannah asked me, Hannah Simmons asked me, how do you define when you consider a person an actual friend? Um, for myself personally, you are a friend, you're an actual personal friend. If we spend time together off stage, if it's not, if we're not just, there's, there's, you know, special brands of friends that I embrace and love at the shows, but if we spend time together, if we have a meal together, if we talk or chat, even digitally online, we uh, we have a friendship. 
I have, I have precious few of those, to tell you the truth, and, uh, and I nurture every one of them. Um, <laughs> I, was, uh, I was having dinner with a friend last night uh, at one of his shows, and uh, we, we talked about relationships and friendships and how things, certain things get solid, or you think they're solid, and um, they turn out to not be. Um, people grow and move on, or, or situations change, and, and people move on from things. But um, I was talking about dating. I was talking about things have changed since I last dated 30 years ago. And if I'm going to ever consider dating again, I've got to look at the landscape of it. And uh, this may come as a surprise to you, but one of the, the fundamental things about meeting new people and, and establishing contact and relationships is you have to leave your house. You have to actually go out in the world and, uh, and not take your show along with you to go out and be a real person. So, yeah, good luck with that. Uh, I'll give it a try. <laughs> um, <laughs> if you want to date Hannibal, not Hannibal the Magician, if you want to, to spend some quality time, uh, drop me a note. I'd love to hang out. Uh, I'd love to eventually start dating again or, or whatever, but uh, um, man, that's a different experience. So to be considered my friend, I have to be comfortable with you knowing who I am off the stage, who I am when I'm not performing or doing podcast or anything else. I mean, I'm telling you all the truth here. I'm telling you from the heart all the things that are me, but you know, I'm multifaceted. There's different sides of me that not many people get to see. Melissa Aldridge asked me, what's your first memory? Okay. My very first memory, the very first thing I can grasp um, from my childhood. Lived in a house. My parents and I lived in a house um, over off of South Boulevard in Charlotte, North Carolina. Um and it had a, uh, uh, like a basement rec room. And I had, they had put up a, a playroom for me off to the side of this rec room. It was a small, I guess it would have to be a guest bedroom. And they just changed it into a, uh, uh, like a playroom for myself. And I got uh, a racetrack, one of the old-fashioned electric racetracks, figure eight um, either for Christmas or for my birthday or something. Uh, I, I couldn't have been more than three, maybe younger than three. Um, I, I can't find, I mean, I, I don't know. I know there are pictures that exist. There's a big uh, picture book of, uh, of my childhood over amongst my stuff somewhere here. But um, at any rate, I couldn't have been more than three years old. And what I most remember is me, and my father sitting down and racing these these slot cars um, for a long time, and uh, we had to stop. This give you an idea of technology. We had to stop after every four or five races to allow the track to cool down um, because it had a, a one of these big humming uh, boxes that that powered the uh, that powered the slots, and an electric current ran into it, and there was a like a, an apparatus on the bottom of the car that went into the slot on the track, and that's what powered it and moved it forward. And, and after every few races, my dad would make a stop for a minute, unplug everything, let the stuff cool down because it would get hot, and the, and the smell of ozone was in the air, 
And uh, that's possibly my first memory is uh, just sitting there with my dad and racing cars back and forth and taking the curves too fast and watching the cars fly across the fly across the room and we you know it was uh, yeah it's one of my favorite memories with my dad too and it came early on or because I'm not sure which came first I remember standing on a, a pier over an ocean um, uh, like when I, when I say pier I'm not talking like a fishing pier I'm talking like a more of a of a dock, like a really large with, with multiple levels. And, and the, the boat that was in front of us had to be uh, a cruise ship, almost had to be, because I remember people standing on uh, on rails on different levels, you know, almost right in front of me, but, but moving because the boat was launching. Um, and they were throwing uh, flowered lays, and they were waving and laughing, and uh, the boat was slipping out of its port uh, into the ocean. It was going... It, my memory is of it going down a ramp, like a really large uh, ramp and, and, and going out into the sea. Um, and there were people on the back of the boat throwing flowers and and, and lays and, and other things off of the back of the boat. And there were young men uh, diving off of the uh, off of the pier I was standing on to uh, to catch the lays or to pluck them out of the water or whatever. And so I remember the, the ship leaving and the people laughing and the men diving off and the ship sailing out into the ocean and these heads and in the water bobbing up and down and holding up their treasures to, you know, to wave goodbye. I couldn't tell you where that was. I have a suspicion that it was Hawaii because I know um, at some point around there my uncle was stationed in Hawaii and we took a trip or two to see him. Um, I know there there were films films that my father shot, eight millimeter films that my father shot uh, that have long since vanished or, or packed up and put away somewhere that I and I have no clue where they are. But that's also where I got the scar on my forehead. Uh, I, I don't exactly remember how that happened. I do remember <clears throat> being carried into an ambulance. Um, this was in Hawaii. Uh, and and uh, I've got a little scar up at my hairline that uh, I've had since I was two or three years old. But those are my memories. Those are the first things I remember. Uh, don't know. Who, I couldn't even tell you who I was with at the boat launch. Or I mean, I assume it would have to be my family, but I don't have memories of those. What I do is uh, I remember the, the the smells in the air, the ocean, the flowers, and the the shouting and the laughing of the people. My friend Andrea asks me, if you could master a single dish you've never made before. <laughs> so many. Uh, but my initial gut reaction was beef wellington because you have to cook the beef and uh, cook the pastry at the same time. And they have to balance. The timing is absolutely crucial and daunting. But it's also one of my favorite dishes. And if I could make it, uh, this is something you'd, I'd actually have to take a course on, which... I'd like to take a course on cooking. Wouldn't that be fun? Um, let's see. What was the effect you thought of this is impossible to create? Well, I mean, we've talked about that before. That The cylinder and coins, uh, the, the silver memories, that took years to, to bear fruit. I, I wanted to do it for years and couldn't find the right script. 
Uh, but once I found the right script, once I found the right prop, the whole thing wrote itself uh, almost immediately. Okay, that's, that's pretty much for the questions from last week. Uh, if you have questions, if you want something uh, answered, you want to hear me opine or talk or ramble about, drop me a message. Send me a, get in touch with me on Facebook. Um, drop me a, a, an email, info at chrishannibal.com. Or just give me a call <laughs> or a text and, uh, and let me know what you want to hear about. Getting in touch with me is, is, is fairly simple. So uh, I look forward to, uh, to hearing from you. So I drove to Branson, Missouri, and the I spent a long time in between rows of trees, just levels of green all the way there and back, thinking about friendship, thinking about loved ones and, and family that have moved on and, and, uh, and how life is going to be affected from this point forward. Um, I'm planning on moving. Uh, my, my plan is to... After the beginning of next year in 2018, um, basically getting rid of all the clutter that I have in my life, uh, all the furniture, all the all the uh, the things I have collected or, or held near or, or everything else, just really um, going to have like a, a house clearing yard sale or, or uh, a giveaway or whatever, and uh, and and pare down my life to its bare minimum. Um, I will keep uh, several books that I find precious, um, but a lot of my library uh, is going to go. Uh, things that could benefit or, or assist other people, um, I will gift those to them, and, and some I will just put up online about uh, what else is going out and if anybody is interested. Certain books I'll keep uh, because they are precious to me, um, but other than that, everything else must go. And uh, my, my plan right now is to uh, move to Los Angeles. Um, I'm not going out there to seek a fortune because I, I have an established business that really only needs a, uh, an airport nearby to be able to keep feeding it. I'll just be re- relocating my base. There are some offers that I've had out there, and I'll be closer to the castle for networking and um, creativity and everything else, uh, putting these past few years, the, the bitterness and the mistakes that I've made and, the, and the, 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 the huge change that my life has gone through, putting all that behind me and, and walking this new road. Uh, so beginning of 2018, I'm going to do that. Uh, so I thought through all those things and I thought I made some plans. I, I, I've got a basic structure of, of what I want to do and where I want to be and, and what I expect of myself. Um, and it was very cleansing, and it was very beautiful, and at times very terrifying. I ran into, in the midst of uh, Kentucky, I ran into some major uh, thunderstorms. Um, and I like to drive at night, so I was, <laughs> I was driving at night through these these uh, walls of water, and uh, and uh, very peaceful though, being very at peace with the whole thing. I got to uh, got to Branson, Missouri, in uh, the early morning of uh, of Saturday, and I went in and checked in and went upstairs and uh, showered off of the road and, and took a nap to prepare myself for the night show. Um, now, the company that I was working for, the client that I was working for, has uh, they've used me many times in the past, and I really love working for them. 
um, they have a, a, a fairly standard uh, schedule that happens every time. But I had something happen to me on stage uh, this time, this week, that I can honestly say has never, ever happened before. Um, the night was set up in the standard way. Generally, the uh, the crowd would come in, the audience that they had would come in. <clears throat> this week, the audience was about 200 people, um, kind of a good medium-sized uh, enthusiastic crowd. They would have a cocktail hour, then they'd have dinner, then there would be a uh, uh, an artist or a speaker or a film, and then that would be the evening would be capped off by my show. And in this show, I particularly I talk about art and I talk about why we we love art and why we embrace artistic things and creativity, and it's it's good for that particular client. Uh, they they really like the way that I my theories and my philosophy on that that subject. So everything went really, really well. The, uh, the close-up uh, mix and mingle during cocktail hour was just off the hook. People were having a great time. Um, they were enthusiastic. They were, they were playing along. Um, I had a, a great, great show for that. Dinner was fantastic. I ate backstage and, uh, lightly and, uh, and prepared the show, got ready to go. Um, the person that went up before me was making a painting. Uh, they playing uh, ACDC and, and loud music while they made uh, a painting. It took about eight, eight to ten, maybe twelve minutes. Um, very enthusiastically, the crowd loved what was going on. Uh, they were going to um, auction the painting off later uh, in the next day. And uh, a great artist by the name of Simon Ball, by the way, uh, look up his uh, his art if you, if you get a chance. Um, just a fantastic artist and a wonderful human being. We, uh, we had a little conversation before the show. We've worked together before, but uh, I'm a big fan of his work and a big fan of, of what he did and, and the way he approaches his art is, is very, um, very inspiring. Simon Ball, take a look at uh, some of his things. And um, Simon finished his bit, finished his painting, and the host came up and said, you know, Simon Ball, another big round of applause for Simon. Uh, breakfast tomorrow is at 8 o'clock. Thank you all for coming. Have a great night. Good night. And released the audience. And I'm standing in the wings going, uh, okay, what did I miss? What uh, what what happened? And one of the associates uh, came up to the stage and came over and said, what about Hannibal? At which point the host realized that he had forgotten me. He had forgotten there was more show uh, to happen. So they, they ran out to the hallway. They tried to they, you know entice people to go back inside. We still have more to go. Uh, of the 200, we retained, I, I think, 40 of, of the, the major audience. They came back in, and um, I asked them to move their chairs right up to the stage. And so I did the show, and... Uh, and of course, you know, compensation was never a question. That they they had hired me; it was all taken care of there. But my my heart was for the uh, for the audience. Um, but the the forty or so that came back in, um, all high energy, all all fantastic, and 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 I did the show that I was I was brought to do, but on a more intimate level. And in some ways, uh, perhaps it was better. Perhaps I reached them a little closer. Uh, the only. Uh, the, the major error that I made 
in the show was that I I, uh, I, I chose poorly. Um, and I'm going to put this all on me and, and stay with me because I'm not insulting anybody. Um, the woman that I chose for Roadhouse, uh, I chose poorly. She'd had a bit more to drink than I had, than I anticipated. And I can, I can handle that. I can, I can, that's not a problem. I've worked comedy clubs and bars and everything for years. I just misjudged where she was and she wanted attention. She wanted to be the center of attention and that's cool, but I can't let you get too big because it'll, it'll spoil the feeling of the show and it can make people uncomfortable. So I had to, um, I had to pull her back a little harder than I initially anticipated I might have to. Um, at any rate, uh, I, I overcame a, a, a misstep uh, and uh, it, it played out okay. It played out funny, and I think the audience were was on my side at the end of it. I didn't, uh, I didn't humiliate her, and I didn't, <clears throat> I didn't make her feel bad. And she went back to her seat as happy as when she came up. Um, and uh, the other young, the other young lady, uh, Crystal, Crystal Butterfly, look her up, Fat, fantastic, wonderful woman, um, played along and uh, and understood the problems I was dealing with on the other side, and and helped as a matter of fact. Uh, in all of that, and uh, we had a great time. We had a great show. Was really what I'm trying to get to, um, and and overcame the uh, the initial problem. Uh, what is it? Uh, is it Zig Ziglar or Bob Ross? I don't get them confused often. Uh, who said that there are? It had to be Bob Ross. There aren't accidents. There are happy opportunities. Maybe I'm mixing my metaphors. Um. We, we have opportunities when mistakes happen, when we, uh, when we choose poorly or something goes wrong or something goes amiss, whether it's our fault or not, we have, uh, rather than a crisis, perhaps we have an opportunity to, uh, to improve ourselves or improve the lives of the people that are in front of us um, or learn, you know, at the very least, if you walk off stage having learned something uh, and moving forward and... and I don't. I don't know. My mind wanders, as I'm sure you've guessed right now. But but what uh, what just occurred to me here is that there's not a point of giving up with this this thing you're called to do. Um, if you're feeling right now, I, I see you out there, and I, and I and I you know I watch relationships back and forth. But I see you, and I see. You're struggling with, you know, is it time to, to throw in the towel? Have I taken it as far as I can? The, the road goes on, and, and you're, you're doing what you're doing for a purpose and for a reason. Now, if, it's, if your heart isn't in it, uh, re-examine your heart. Find out why. Uh, if, if it's not fun, if you're only doing it for, well, <laughs> if you find yourself only doing it for the money, uh, mayday. Uh, time to really re-examine uh, what you're doing and why you're doing it. These things, you know, money may come, and, and, and I believe that in my own little woo way that the universe will support those who, who put forth, um, you know, their efforts and the things you were made to do. I, I do believe you, you, you can support yourself or, or, or through the people that care about you and your fans, you know, take care of business, take care of things. Wealthy or rich is not something I ever wanted to be. Uh, the ability to get by, 
the ability to pay bills, the ability to take care of myself while doing the work that I love is, is, is a huge gift. Uh, I don't need wealth on top of that. Um, and honestly, if wealth came my way, I, I'm, I'm fairly certain I'd find myself giving a lot of it away uh, to, to help support other people coming up. I, that's, that's, I'm entering the mentor phase of my life right now. Um, I'm still performing. I'm going to perform for the rest of my life. Um, but, but there's a lot of people are approaching me now as in the role of, of teacher. Uh, the things that I've learned and the, the, the quote wisdom, unquote, that I can offer uh, is becoming more and more a fixture of my life. Hence this particular podcast. Hence the, uh, the videos that I've been putting up on YouTube and, and uh, the appeal to the Patreon uh, group to help me keep moving down this road and, and to examine the things I can do publicly. And uh, went back to my room and uh, watched uh, watched some of my old things, listened to some old uh, some of my own words to make sure I'm still on the uh, on the right path. And as I do only in hotel rooms, I turned on the news. There's there's only two places in the world where I watch news. Uh, one is in airports because it's always on there. CNN in general <clears throat> is on at almost every airport. Uh, and most of the time it's, it's muted. All you see is the talking heads and the, the, the scroll along the bottom and something. And, and, and even when it is on the, the sound of the crowd often drowns out a lot of what is being said. And the other place is in hotel rooms. And, uh, so I turned on the news. Uh, part of that, part of my watching CNN, um, on a MSNBC, you know, I will flip through till I see someone talking about something, um, and I will watch until either the, the the news is too much or the topic becomes too boring, and I will switch to another channel to see if there's a different take or a different perspective. So. Uh, the news, of course, uh, from this weekend, as I'm watching, is the white supremacist rally to prevent a Confederate statue from being removed from a public square. Um, there's a statue of Robert E. Lee, uh, leader of uh, the Confederate Army uh, for the Civil War. Uh, and uh, the the city had decided to take it down, that it was a relic, that it was time <clears throat> to move on from that point and put perhaps put something more relevant or uh, inspiring in its place. And it, it offended and upset some people. Now, some people can and and forgive me for my you know my positive outlook on this but i think most people even the people who disagree with the action most people can look at that and say okay i don't agree with it but i guess it's time and they have a different view some people are a bit more vocal about it and 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 peacefully uh protested the idea now personal philosophy personal perspective 
and you're going to have to really give me a big grain of salt on this because I understand who I am and I understand what my role is in society. And, and I am speaking from deep, deep, deep within white male privilege. My perspective is so skewed, I don't even see my own privilege most of the time. That's, that's how this country is. I have to actively try to see the perspective of somebody else. We all do, but from standing from my perspective, I understand that my view is limited from the hill that I stand on. Um, I actively try to see other people's perspective and try to feel other people's uh, pain, what, what they must see and how it must appear to them. So, But again, if I'm really, really honest... I'm limited in my ability to do that because my entire life experience has been as a middle-class white male. So call me on it. If, if I am in, in any way offensive or, 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 or unthinking, call me on it. Let me know. Tell me directly. You know, um, I want to be a better man. Uh, there's thing that, that I'm wandering off uh, where I shouldn't. Let me get back to the story, and I'll, I'll, I'll readdress that in a minute. But <clears throat> a group of, of white nationalists and, and white supremacists went to the extreme of of protest, in my opinion. Um, I watched clippings, and I watched interviews, and I watched things, but uh, the, the reports that were coming out late Saturday night were frightening and depressing and shameful. Um, people openly speaking on camera to the nation about not just their own, you know, their own, this is what I want, this is the way I want my life to be, this is the way I want my world to be, but actively calling for hurting or killing other people, instilling fear, uh, a, a gentleman, gentleman, I'm fucked now, sorry, no, a, a boy of, of uh, early 20s, I'm going to guess, actually on camera talking about the young public, the young Republicans' agenda was to promote the white race and to kill Jews. His words. And I was aghast. I was, I was stunned. I was ashamed. To, to be associated, to be lumped into white male with, with this, this horrible, horrible philosophy, this awful human being who would stand there and, and, and openly nationally advocate for the killing of someone over their religious beliefs. In 2017, regardless of what I believe or, or what woo I embrace or what mythology that I will aspire to or, or whatever my points of view on, it is absolutely wrong. It is a terrorist act to say, I want to kill this group of people because they believe differently than I do. It's alien to me to have that m amount of fear and hatred towards someone else that you don't even know. I mean, hate me if you want to, but but know me first. You know, really get to know me. Don't don't look past the labels and 
and get to know my heart. And if you still want to hate me, then okay, I'll I'll, I'll embrace that. I'll, I'll let you hate me if you want to. Hate my success. Hate my failure. Hate the the cavalier attitude that I treat some people with. Hate my philosophy. Hate magicians. Uh, you know that that that's that's lumping a big group of people together. But you know. Don't hate magicians. They're doing their best. Honestly, they are. You know, hate my show if, if you don't like the, the the philosophy of what I have to say in my show and it offends you. Come tell me I offended you. Hate me to my face. But they were talking about taking up arms against members of their own society, building walls to, to, to keep people that they consider inferior out this this theory that is america this still working model this machine that goes forward the only way that america that the world that humanity is going to survive each other is through embracing love instead of anger and fear and in my perspective, fear is the opposite of love. It's not hate. Hate is a is a cancer on love. It's not the opposite of love. It's it's cells that are growing in the wrong direction uh, and attacking the host. Fear, living in fear, is the opposite of living in love. We fear what we don't know. We fear what we don't understand. And we turn that into hate and anger and, and lashing out at, at innocent people. There was someone from the Nazi group, from the white supremacist group, from the alt-right or whatever label you want to slap on them, got into a car and piloted it into a group of people with the intention of causing fear, of taking a life if he could, of, of injuring as many people as he possibly could out of his anger, which was born out of his fear, which festered into hate. That's unacceptable. That's not human. It's wrong. I mean, I, I can't say it more plainly than that. There's just, there's no excuse for it. How do we get to that point of, of, of focused destructiveness over yeah religion yeah you know choices people have made okay it doesn't extend to the point of taking a life you can't hate someone especially for something that they cannot change like the color of their skin or who their ancestors were, it's unacceptable. You can't hate someone for something that they are unable to change or, quite frankly, unwilling to change. I, okay, you know, this is a big ball of confusing mess right now, and it's not going to get any any easier from what I'm going to be able to say in my little limited podcast here. But here's 
my perspective on it, my limited, blinded, narrow-minded philosophy. One side says we are a country of laws, and one of those very first laws, the very first law we have is the freedom of speech. The ability to stand in public and speak your mind, even if it's against the government that, that you know that you live under, even if it's against the laws of the land, you can speak out against them. And yeah, that's absolutely true. And I don't want to restrain anyone's free speech except, and here's the hypocritical part. If you want to call me a hypocrite, I'm going to embrace that too. Freedom of speech except and until your speech threatens somebody else. Until you start to espouse the hatred of another human being and start calling for their destruction. And in my opinion, that's where free speech ends. It ends with you or anyone standing up and, and, and spewing hatred for another group of people, another group of citizens, another group of the citizens of the world, the, 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 the neighbors that we have. Iraq are our neighbors. Russia are our neighbors. <laughs> Mike Grabiglia, that's a line from him. Texas are our neighbors. And whether you agree with them or not, they're still your neighbors. They're still living, breathing, experiencing emotional human beings who deserve the right to live their life the way they want to. Freedom of speech and freedom of, of expression have to end at the point where you are threatening someone else. You want to stand up and hate on people, hate on individuals, hate on, on, on individual actions and call them out for, for what they've done and 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 you know philosophize there make your words beautiful and stronger than the rhetoric that's coming from the side you disagree with disagree in healthy ways change the world for the better understand that your point of view is not the only point of view especially when it comes to religion yes believe what you want to believe embrace the god or gods that you want to but for the sake of the God you worship, do it for love. Do it out of the fact that if you believe he created, he or she created all of this, then be creative and, 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 and build up the universe you're in rather than trying to destroy it. To the other side. Yeah, I can see the philosophy of punching a Nazi. And Nazis deserve punching. And if someone spews that kind of anger or hate in my direction or threatens me or someone or someone else, physically threatens someone else, I'm going to stand in that gap and I'm going to fight that hatred physically if I have to. Nazism, white supremacy, the Klan... All of these things, all these organizations that stand specifically for hating another race or another religion or another group of people, I will stand up to that. I will fight for that. I will fight with my life for that. My very first job in fighting that is to do card tricks and to educate and to make people laugh and make bring people together together. 
open up free trade, learn to take our individual strengths and share them one with each other and, and trade them freely back and forth. There's room enough for us all to live to the other side, to my liberal friends. I am not middle of the road in any of my philosophies, but you got to understand that sometimes I'm going to walk both sides of the road because I am staunchly conservative in some things and horrifyingly liberal in other things. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, most of us are. It's not exactly middle of the road. It's, it's your experience, your environment, and who you are. But this day and age, there's not room right now to walk in the middle of the road. But I won't advocate open violence towards even people who are being hateful. If they are threatening, if they are absolutely, you know, the, the, the law will step in, the law should step in and unplug them, uh, take down their forum, take down their, uh, their, uh, their ability to threaten by whatever means necessary. Our leadership should be standing up against hate speech, against calls for violence. They should absolutely be vocal. They should absolutely be actionable in the things that they do to, to quell this kind of absurdity, this kind of hate and anger. And if they don't, they need to be replaced by any means necessary. I am not calling for violence against anybody. I am not calling for revolution. I am calling for a revolution of self, a revolution of everyone having the respect for themselves and respect for their neighbors and the love for their enemies enough to say there's room for all of us, not shipping off the hate-filled people to an island somewhere. I, I, I have enough presence of mind. I have enough positivity in, in myself, in my soul, that when I see these people on their podiums and, and spewing hatred and spewing anger and spewing uh, calling for death and calling for mayhem, I am weeping for the child that they were. The, 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 the innocence that they were born with, the astonishment that they found in discovering the universe around them, the, the love of the, of the small beauties and the small joys that we all get to experience living here. I weep and I'm upset and I'm angry that at some point someone put hatred in their head that would lead them to this point where they're putting it in other people's. It's a, it's a, you, you reap what you sow and if you're planting love and you're planting joy and you're planting hope, then that's exactly what you're going to reap. But if you are out there planting hatred and you are planting anger, then you are not only reaping anger for your children, but you are going, you are reaping anger in the people that your children are going to encounter. It feeds on itself and it has to end somewhere. Someone, uh, a friend that I lost this weekend, someone who has blocked me out of their life in uh, social media because I just couldn't grasp their philosophy. 
they said, do you not give Nazis a platform to speak? And I said, no, you don't. Because their their philosophy, their 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 very base is based on hatred and threatening and 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 destruction. And that does not get, in my opinion, that does not get a public forum. That does not get a stage to speak to the public in. The law has to evolve and has to realize. And the thing that came back to me, the, the question that came back to me was, well, then what, what if someone labels you as a terrorist or someone labels you as a Nazi? And I'm going to tell you, my actions, what I have done and when, the way I have lived my life and the way that I encounter other people will prove to whoever is, is judging me to be different. I did not spew hate. I did not spew anger. I did not raise my fist against an innocent Judge me by that. Judge me by my actions. And if you still want to call me a terrorist, then by God, call me a terrorist. I will terrorize you with love and compassion and as much understanding as I can extend your way. I said the public forum, the freedom of speech ends. The line is drawn at Nazism. I mean, you want to, you want to approach it from a different perspective would you give a pedophile a, a microphone in a public forum? And, and, and if you did, what would you expect the crowd to do? What would you expect caring, compassionate, feeling people? How would you expect them to react if you feed them perversion, if you feed them hatred? Don't come at me with associating things like pedophilia with, with, with any other adults consenting adults view of what sexuality or love or whatever is do not confuse those two things i am not sitting here preaching about any kind of 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 quote perversion in 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 two consenting adults no i'm holding up an example of of one extreme and another one pedophilia nazism there, there are probably other ones. These are the first two that pop into my mind as things that should not be given freely a public forum or freedom of speech. And I'll stand, I'll stand staunch on that. You know, prove me wrong. Go ahead. Yeah, show me. You don't give legs to play to things like Nazism and white supremacy to hatred. To, 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 to making innocent people, friends of mine, uh, loved ones of mine, to build their fear, to make them feel absolutely sick because you are espousing that, that people of their color, of their creed, of their choice, uh, of the way they choose to, to, to love another human being, you disagree with it and you're going to make them frightened of you. That's terrorism, my friend. And it doesn't have a place in the world that I want to see built. So yeah, I draw the line at Nazis. I won't be physically assaulting Nazis in the street. Uh, I, I do see some extremes on, on the left-leaning friends of mine that I have that are angry, justifiably so, angry, and, and, and wanting some kind of a retaliation 
I am still of the opinion that this 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 person, this this idiot, this guy on stage with the microphone who is calling for the destruction of other races and other religions, I am still maybe naively, but still convinced that there is still a child inside there. A frightened, misguided, misled, miseducated child who is only doing what he does does because that is all he knows. All he has known is hatred. All he has known is is bigotry or racism or, or whatever else he is espousing, sexism, homophobia. It's what he was taught. So the first line in the war is love and education. Teaching truth. Teaching deep-seated soul-changing love in the face of anger and hatred and fear. I am convinced. I am... I have faith to the core of my soul with every fiber, phase, and particle of my being. I am convinced that love is the stronger force. And it can absolutely overcome hate and miseducation and and threats and terrorism that love is the answer. In the meantime, I'm going to take a moment to pull this up because another friend uh, gave some, some wonderful, wonderful, beautiful ideas on what to do now. She's an artist and she is a, a very fiction, nonfiction type of a human being that I admire an awful lot. Uh, my friend Susan, um, I want to find is there's a passage she made that I want to uh, I want to share with you. Uh, vital things that need to be done. Uh, well, let me let me start here. Um, this was not hers, but she posted it for someone else. And uh, yeah, let me take from here. Take heart. In less than 24 hours, one, the criminal who mowed down the crowd in Charlottesville is in custody. And Sessions says it is the act that the act qualifies as terrorism. So hopefully it will be investigated and prosecuted as such. Two, GOP members like Senators Hatch, Cruz, and Rubio are denouncing supremacists. Three, GoDaddy, which hosts the vile Daily Stormer site, dropped them thanks to Twitter pressure. Twitter pressure. (laughs) I want someone right now to form a band. I want someone right now to form a band and call it Twitter pressure. I will be in the front row at your first show. Um, Daily Stormer is the site of a favorite site of supremacists. Uh, don't open it unless you have a strong stomach. And I can tell you right now, the level of stupidity on that site is stomach-turning. So proceed with caution. Four, counter-protesters took pictures of the marching supremacists and published them on social media, crowdsourcing their identities. Some have found that there are consequences. Ladies and gentlemen, if you are going to stand up in public and espouse hatred and spouse and, 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 and pose threats, I want to know who you are. I want to know who you are, and I'm going to find out. I'm not threatening anybody. I just want to keep an eye on you. 
Five, local electeds like the mayor of Lexington, Kentucky, are accelerating the timetable to take down or relocate Confederate statues. Hallelujah. Great. You want to, to, to maintain the history? Great. Do that. Maintain the history. Remember the Confederacy. Remember the Civil War. Don't forget the lessons that it taught you, but put them in a museum. Don't put them out in public. You know what? The statue, that the, the, the thing that, that was the catalyst that started all of these things was a statue of Robert E. Lee. Since when do we publicly put up statues of the loser of the fight? When do we put them out in public, on display, when they lost the fight themselves? Take a statue, make a statue, if it's, if it's part of what you consider your heritage, or you learned something from this particular battle, or you just admire the man for his strategy and battle tactics, put it in a museum. Museum, that's where it belongs. My friend Mark, uh, in, in, a, in a discussion, I don't have it in front of me because it got deleted by somebody else, Mark made the, the, the brilliant observation that Having statues is fine, and, and, and revering history and learning from history is fine and great, but you don't put it outdoors. You don't put the—you don't celebrate—people celebrate statues that are outdoors. Um, he made the example of the statue of Iwo Jima, uh, the, the raising the flag on Iwo Jima, the, the, the warriors that were raising the flag. That's an outdoor statue, and it does—it's not just— about the guys raising the flag in victory. It's about overcoming the enemy that we had, the people that attacked us, the the people that wanted to take over the world. It, it is a symbol of lives given in the name of freedom and, and, and victory and justice. The statue of Robert E. Lee is a statue of a loser, of someone who tried someone who tried to secede from the Union, who tried to stand up for the state's rights on owning other human beings, on owning slaves. And that philosophy, that way of life, that that way of life failed because of course it did. You don't own other human beings. You don't subjugate. It's been done since the beginning of time. I know, I know. And, it, and it'll continue to be done because there's evil. But in this case, it failed. Take the statue, put it indoors. Revere your history inside. Put things on the outside that uplift and inspire and move the human race forward and upward with more understanding, more love, more compassion. Remember the history and learn from it. Don't live in hate. Don't subjugate other human beings. Number six, Terry McAuliffe delivered the most unequivocal condemnation of supremacists, and it's a great speech. Look it up. Go to YouTube, find Terry McAuliffe's uh, speech in his condemnation. It's its an amazing, inspiring thing. Seven, even tiki brands, the people that made the torches, denounced the use of their citronella-scented tiki torches by the supremacists. Eight, Charlottesville merchants showed the way by closing stores and posting that they support diversity and inclusion. 
when the whole world takes down their walls. Nine hundreds of vigils and rallies in support of Charlottesville victims yesterday. Ten, Heather Hare. Heather Hare, the young woman who first died. I understand there's, there's three now that have died because of the attack with the car. Her, F, her, her Facebook post, if you are not outraged, you have not been paying attention, has become a rallying cry. She gave her life for her conviction. I have a friend who was going to be at that rally. I have a friend who, who was absolutely anticipating making the trip, going up to be part of the counter-rally against the hatred being, being spewed. And it, it gives me chills that she might have been in the path of the madman driving the car through a, group, through a crowd of people. And she might not be here today because of that. That's not love, man. That's not humanity. That's not being, <laughs> it's not being a neighbor. Um, let, me, uh, let me find the thing that I want uh, to, uh, oh, here it is. Susan, my friend Susan, who is a, a fantastic artist, musician, philosopher, loving, amazing human being, posted this. I'm going to read it exactly in her words, and then I'm going to add to it uh, as best I can. I can't make her words better, um, and I don't want to alter them, so I'm going to read this to you exactly the way it was posted. Susan, I want to apologize to everyone on my feed that I have said nothing that I said nothing last night about all the violence and rioting that went on yesterday. I was working until late and then at a rescue rally, and I knew literally nothing about it until this morning. There's too much to process, and I won't insult the subject with the 20 minutes I have, so I'm just going to tell you what I'm going to do. First, I'm going to apologize to every Jew, lesbian, gay, bisexual, trans, queer, black, or other person of color who must have felt the deep and visceral thrum of upset at the amount of strength and support given to yesterday's demonstration. I'm going to walk my dog because he's restless and hasn't gotten a lot of attention this week. Then I'm going to walk on site. She's working at a Renaissance festival. I'm going to walk on site and play with everything I've got. I'm going to go to sleep, and I'm going to wake up tomorrow. And then I'm going to download Countable, an app that tells me the moment my representatives vote, how they vote, and lets me shoot them comments and emails. I'm making a plan for all the phone calls that I'm going to make to my Congress people and representatives. I'd like to find some websites that discuss the abilities and tendencies of my local candidates so I can get some of idea of who to back and how. I am not sending out thoughts and prayers to those affected. I'm not cooing and showing sympathy because there is no sympathy. Sympathy is for when it's happening to other people. This is happening to us. And to anyone who doesn't think so is blind. I'm praying for myself. I'm calling for me. I don't want to be this. She says, please, please, I don't want to be this. Okay. Wash, dress, cup, hat, instruments, bag, and go. Make no mistake. This atrocity is not happening to other people. It is happening to us as humans, as the people that the most intelligent creative, amazing beings on this planet. It is happening to us. You, me, them, we are all one. 
I pray for myself because I don't want to be this. Holy cow, Susan, you said it better than anything I could have ever put up there. I don't want to be this. I don't want to, of course, I don't want to be associated with the people that are, that are propagating this kind of hatred and anger. But I don't want to be that. I don't want, I don't want my neighbors being that hateful, that spiteful, that angry, that destructive. The great philosopher Townsend once said, get on my guitar and play just like yesterday. Yes, do your art. Lift the hearts. Get in front of people and sing to them. Do card tricks for them. Dance for them. Give them love. Give them, give them something to reach for other than a brick to throw or a car to drive into people. Contact your representatives. Contact the people in leadership. Stay on them. Each and every person that hears my voice or gets relayed to, your voice counts. It might not seem like it does, but there, people on both sides of the aisle are, 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 are rising up against this, and they need our encouragement and our enthusiasm because the voice of anger and the voice of hatred is really loud, really loud and stringent, and unrelenting, and needs to be shouted down. Persistence, relentlessness, love, it can make you weary, but it needs to be done. And there is no alternative. There is no other way. Love has to win. Wash your dishes, clean your carpets, clean your windows, bathe your kids, walk your dog, live your life, but stretch outside of that and realize that we are all on this together. That's cliched as hell, but we are all in this together. It's truth. What affects me affects the world. What affects my neighbor, my brother, my sister speaks of who I am. And I don't know, you know, I was taught from a young age that I'm going to have to answer for things someday. And, and I have, to a large part of my own philosophy, rejected that. But if I have to answer for what I did, I cannot say I stood in the middle of the road and I watched both sides. My stand is on the side of love and compassion for everyone. Education, making sure that these kids, these, these people that are coming up right now don't end up on the wrong side of a microphone spewing hatred, espousing violence. Nazis ought to fear me as a love terrorist because... I know. I know how that sounds. I know how it sounds. It's on top of my head. All of this is, is unscripted. You guys know that. But but I'm going to love, and I'm going to love loud, and I'm going to love angry if I have to. And I'm going to love from a place of love and not from a place of fear. I'm going to eat all the Skittles. Have you heard that? Have you heard the, the thing about... 
Uh, it was the philosophy of, of building a wall and keeping certain people out because some of them might be terrorists, some of them might be violence, and you know, refugees coming from another country or trying to seek asylum in our golden streets, and, and they run from their destructed lives into walls. Where is the justice? Where is the love? Where is the power that we as America holds if we are not loving the people on our shores, on our soil, you know, around the world, the, the soil that we hold around the world? Guam is, is, a, is a U.S. Uh, territory. Why is there still fear? Because people keep feeding it. That's why. There is fear because people keep nurturing fear. Where was I going? <sighs> Love can win. Love will win one way or the other. Yeah, that's what it was. If I do have to answer for those things, I will say I stood up for love. I stood in the way. The Skittles thing. Man, I'm all over the map, and I'm sorry. The Skittles thing was if there was a bowl of Skittles and you knew that three of them were poisonous and would kill you if you ate them, would you still eat out of the bowl? And the response is, I assume Skittles are human lives, right? Each Skittle is human li a human life, and eating them is the, is the process of letting them inside of our borders, of, of, of opening our arms and embracing them. And three of them will be poisonous and will kill us. Would you still eat the Skittles? And the following is, yeah, I would eat the Skittles. I would eat the whole bowl. I would gorge myself on Skittles. I would call Amazon and have them deliver cases of Skittles to my house so that lives could be improved, so that people could live in freedom and without fear and, and find joy, and, 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 and there's enough for all of us. There's enough nurturing and joy and, and health if we would just take down the walls we put up between them. Walls are the, such, it's a waste of time. It's a huge waste of time and, and a waste of energy. And, and, and why push away when you can embrace? He says hypocritically. I am ashamed that I cannot live up to my own philosophy sometimes. I don't want to turn into a monster. I don't want my fellow human beings turning into monsters. There are monsters out there already. I want to stop them from educating and creating new ones. That's where I draw the line. That's where I will always draw the line. My craft is in my hands and in my mouth. I write, I speak, I do card tricks, I tell jokes. I save lives, I improve lives because I do these things. My weapon will be used to burn down hate, to burn out fear. Woody Guthrie used to put a sticker on his guitar that said, this machine kills fascists. I posted a picture last night on Instagram and on Facebook with a deck of cards because my machine kills fascists too. It exposes them to light. It exposes them to love. And love is the biggest fascist killer around. Take your instrument, take your ability, 
Take your devotion and your passion and use it to burn out fear, to burn out hate. Kill a fascist by turning them into someone who loves and espouses love. Be really clear. Don't twist my words. I am not advocating physical violence or murder against anyone. I'm saying burn out the evil in people's souls. Kill the evil side of them. Show them a better way. If God is listening, don't let me become the thing that I fear. Well, that went in a different direction than I thought it might. If you're still listening, and I'm just going to go out on a limb and assume that there are still people listening after my little rant, thank you for spending time with me. I apologize that this little podcast came out a little later than than usual, but uh, it was a very difficult one to do. I started and stopped it a dozen times. Um, the last half hour or so was straight from the heart, and it it may come out as a confused, jumbled mess. I don't know. I hope you'll understand and embrace what I'm, the spirit of what I'm trying to say. Love one another. This podcast does not get done without you. It does not. Uh, it does not function. It does not go forward without the support of friends and family, both uh, emotionally, physically spiritually and financially. I have a Patreon page, patreon.com slash magic artist. Please donate to my cause. Please donate to the my ability to produce these podcasts, my blogs, my public shows. I cannot do it without you. Patreon.com slash magic artist. I'm requesting $5 a month. I'm requesting $5 a month from everybody listening Um, to help me continue to go forward with this. I want to spread light in the darkness. I want to be a beacon that people can run to. I want to be here for comfort, protection, whatever I can be. And I want to do card tricks for you. I want to make you laugh. I want to produce tears of joy. And I cannot, cannot do it without you. Patreon.com slash magicartist. My YouTube channel, if you, uh, there'll be links, of course, wherever you're listening to it. There will be links uh, to the, the other public things that I do. Look up if you look up Hannibal Magic or Hannibal Magician on YouTube, you'll find a lot of uh, a lot of them. Uh, subscribe to my channel, like uh, the things that you see if you like them. Um, it, it helps in more ways than you know. Uh, the more people that subscribe to the channel. Uh, the more visible it actually gets to the to the regular public and the more people I can reach. Um, gosh, what else am I forgetting? The book uh, the book is in the editing phase right now. My friend Mick is uh, is uh, editing the book. He had a he had a major scare this past weekend. His daughter was involved in a car accident and for uh, many hours he wasn't sure if he was going to get her back or that she would be able to walk or, or they'd be able to save her legs or her arms. It was, it was bad. And through the grace of the universe, the grace of God and God in his heaven, the, the, uh, the prayers and supplications of friends and family and the talent 
of the doctors that she was under, she, uh, she kept both her legs. She kept her life. She kept her arms. She kept her mind. She is uh, reportedly um, conscious and uh, cognizant, and, um, and nothing seems to be missing at this time. He was given a gift. He was given more time. She was given more time. We have a limited amount. Reach out right now. Send someone a text. Send, send someone love. Hug someone that will accept your hugs. You know, consent is everything. Tell somebody you love them. Tell somebody they are valuable. Tell somebody you need them in your life. Be the love that you need to someone else. Um, podcast goes on. Uh, my goal is to have it out every Tuesday to the public. The Patreon people, uh, in general, will get it a day or two earlier uh, than that, just as a, as a way of thank you. Um, but generally, this will be out on, uh, on Tuesdays. Please share. Please uh, let other people that you know that you think would enjoy this uh, send them a link or send them a, a whatever um, so other people can enjoy it. And, and I thank you for your support, and I thank you for sharing. And I thank you for being a part of my life. Uh, I joke sometimes that uh, I couldn't do it without you. And it's absolutely true. Performing to an empty room, performing into a microphone or, or espousing my beliefs into a, a microphone when I can't see your faces is very difficult. I cannot do this without you. Thank you for your love. Um, this week, uh, not a whole lot going on. I've got some projects I want to continue working on. I may be out on the street busking just uh, for myself and to and to exercise love out into the into the universe that is uh, that is needed. Call me, text me, whatever it takes. Let me know. Let me know what you think. Leave a leave a response. Leave a message. Uh, if you liked the podcast, hit the like button next to to wherever you're listening to it. Uh, let me know that uh, you are hearing me. Until next time, I hope there's love where you are. Sitting on the corner, staring down this reading wall. Making fun of faces at the people we don't meet. Whoa, whoa. Holding out of pockets for all the world to see a world Singing our old songs, busking you and me a world A world, a world It's funny how they always seem to want to get away from you Just throw a little money and say, hey man, now do just what you do Sing a little anthem and answer, hey man, I am Just a little more dough and I'll show you where I stand That's the plan, ain't life grand Breaking in the quarters, nickels and the dimes of war Just breathing and dreaming and passing by the time of war, war. 
Thinking of the past and what we live for then whoa Where we're living now Our worries in the winter whoa Whoa, whoa It's funny how she always seems to want to get away from you She calls you honey in the job But when she's out your glue Lord, it's true You put your axe up in the case And then you ease and making haste for the door Then you bust it to the corner Get your busking all in order for the show On the road, here we go I play a whoa, whoa. Days turn into weeks and weeks are into years of woe. We live for the fans and make the music in the ears of woe, whoa, whoa. Okay, now I think I'm good.